Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 10th episode of the Moogles and Mages podcast. I am Dan, also known as Mage Man Dan on Twitter. I'm here with my co-host, Cody, the master at arms, the lord of lore, the high <laughs> grand king of stories that are related to Final Fantasy XIV. We're going to run out of titles eventually. I will make it my life's journey not to run out at this point now. This is a thing. This has been established. I gotta get you a business card with this. <laughs> and, and Cody is gonna learn me some stuff about FF14 today. Isn't that right, buddy? Yeah, that's the plan. Um, I mean, can you believe we're already at episode 10? Double digits, the man. big 1-0. Mm. How did it happen so fast? It's crazy to think that we've been at this for more than two months now. Yeah, it's wild. Something about these last two years with COVID has messed my sense of time up, you know? <laughs> dude it's almost 2022 and i still haven't processed 2020 <laughs> this ain't right man we, we gotta we gotta figure out what we're doing <laughs> okay today i think we're gonna spend some time talking about calamity what they are what they do uh and a little bit about some of the Asians that sort of orchestrate them Okay, gotcha. Now, we had talked a little bit about that at the end of the last episode. We didn't have a ton of time to go into it. Right. So, it's easy to look at a calamity, right, and be like, it's a world-ending event. They just happen. Mm -hmm. Bad things happen for no reason. You know, rocks fall, everyone dies. Right, right. But these are very carefully orchestrated events. Yeah, yeah, because what you had mentioned in the last episode was that, you know, this group of people was trying to purposefully do this to bring back the shards of Zodiac. Exactly. This is what they call the Great Rejoining. And it's not easy. It's actually really easy to mess it up. But we'll, just to, to set the stage, if you think of the shards as sort of orbiting Hydaelyn, then the way this works is there's basically an invisible wall between Hydaelyn and each of her shards. And the idea is that by <clears throat> creating a ethereal imbalance on one of the shards, that you can sort of weaken that wall. Now, by ethereal imbalance... What do you mean by that? So, you'll get some examples of it as we go along, but it's sort of by orchestrating events that can cause one element to sort of tip more powerful than the others. Okay. It's it's complicated. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend to understand how the Asians do it, but they are <laughs> obscenely powerful mages, and that's really all we need to know. Yeah, that's fair enough. I won't question their math. I, I won't question that. But that's only half of a calamity. In order to cause a full calamity, the wall has to be broken, not just weakened. Hmm. So what has to be done is you have to orchestrate that same element on Hydaelyn herself. And then when those two elements are broken, both sort of seeping into the to the wall like that it will shatter and it creates just this flood of ether 
Oh, okay. So it's almost kind of like a magnetic force, except uh-huh. rather than repelling against each other, whenever you get them both on each side of the wall, they're drawn. Crack. And once that happens, there's nothing Heidelin can do to stop it. Mm. So it just goes. That was one thing that I was curious about is Heidelin seems really passive is the main word that comes to mind uh, whenever I think about whatever she's doing now. Yeah. So I don't think they've really spoken exactly on why Heidelin refuses to act directly Mm. yet. But my theory is that, you know how primals will consume ether just passively by existing? Yeah, yeah. I don't think that Heidelin and Zodiac do that. I think they're more complete summonings. Hmm. Maybe because they each have a heart when they were created? Possibly, yeah. So I think that they only consume ether when they do something. Oh, so you're thinking she might be conserving her energy. Exactly. Or, much like how Zodiac was sacrificing people in order to act, Heidelin may not be willing to sacrifice her people in order to do things. Mm. That's why the Asians had to force her hand. Right, and from what you've told me, Heidelin has given blessings to plenty of people that aren't just the ancients at this point and so she probably considers just about any sentient being to be hers there are some really interesting tidbits with the nature of heidelin's blessings Hmm. um i could go into them now but it's largely disconnected from what we're talking about (laughs) i think we've done a pretty good job of staying on track in general you know yeah, I think I'll save it for another time. Okay, that's fair. Uh, we, we can save it for when we talk about Shadowbringers, because it becomes much, much more relevant then. Oh, perfect. So, anyways, <laughs> Heidelin doesn't really do much, right? She can't stop this from happening. Well, I mean, hypothetically, she might be able to, but she doesn't. And the Calamity causes the initial, the, the, the Shard to be completely consumed. All life on that shard is lost. Oh, man. I didn't... (laughs) You had mentioned that she absorbs the shard, and I did not take the moment to consider that literally. What that meant. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Wow. So whenever it's a calamity, it's on both both sides, both shards. Mm -hmm. A calamity is a Simultaneous apocalypse. No wonder that's so hard to do. Two cataclysms at once at the same time? Yeah. So all that ether essentially is just going to get... Like, that that shard will just be broken down into ether, and it will be sucked into Hydaelyn and just join the life stream, I assume. Mm, right. Hypothetically, that would make Hydaelyn more powerful, I guess. Um, it would give her more ether. I don't know why she doesn't use the life stream as a source, but... Hmm. So maybe Could there's a personal decision, or maybe there's something blocking that. Hmm. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Oh, maybe, maybe there's something with the the noise. Oh, we we don't know the source of the noise. It could be something that's just inherent to the live stream. Even like maybe it has 
you know, some discord within the live stream that's uh, rebellion of souls or something. Who knows? Yeah, if there's anything a god could fear, it's probably whatever is related with that. There's there's a guy in Final Fantasy IX who who pops up. This has been a bit of a fan theory for the noise. There There's a guy who pops up at the end of FF9 who is... Uh, you may recognize the name because it sort of sounds a little similar to something you're used to. Mm-hmm. That would be Necron. <laughs> um, so Necron comes out of absolutely nowhere. Right, but right. he is essentially a god of death. And okay. his, his goal is to just reduce the entirety of existence to nothing. Does he have any relation with machinery, too? No. Oh, he almost had three out of three, man. He could have been the Necron. <laughs> yeah, he's also not green, sadly. <laughs> so you, you say that he's got this fascination with death? Yeah, it's, it's like that's his like domain, I guess. But there, mm. there were fan theories that, that we could see that as being a sort of representation of the noise, that it could be Necron. But who knows? <laughs> who knows, man? Maybe it's something even <laughs> crazier than that. Well, I guess you said that we were hoping to find out about that in, what was the new one called? Endwalker? Endwalker, yeah. Well, there shouldn't be a might. It should be we will. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be uh, awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. That's what, 42, 43 days left until that comes out? Something like that? I, I believe Twitter said 42 days. And it cannot come fast enough. It's ticking down, dude. I know, I'm jonesing, like, really hard. <laughs> so let's just uh, go into the calamities. I yeah. mean, <clears throat> they're, the early ones are very early in Highland's history. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really have much information to go on. There might be something in the lore book. I don't know. But I'm assuming that the sources I'm getting it from are also writing from the lore books. So Right, so there's only so much more that we could really pick up on here. Exactly. So the first calamity was a calamity of wind. They didn't really know that it was wind at first. Uh, until more calamities happened and scholars assume operating under the assumption that calamities were always aspected to an element were using just process of elimination hmm. and they're saying well wind hasn't happened so it must have already happened right and it wasn't an inferno it wasn't a flood exactly apparently the uh, tale of good king Mogglemog sort of ties into this how so? Uh, talking about how initially the skies were home to Mughals, but then the skies became embroiled in this battle between gods. Oh, that... <laughs> A war of gods is not fit for Mughals, <laughs> man. So King Mog led his brethren to the land below the clouds, but he stayed behind. Hmm. And then the, you can talk to some Moogles in Mogholm, and they speak of a wind-based disaster at some point. Oh. So he had some sort of relation with that. Mm-hmm. And I guess I should also mention the way Eorzea's history works is we have... It's divided into umbral eras and astral eras. Yeah, this is one thing that's been confusing me a little bit. 
Right. So there are umbral calamities which cause massive destruction and death. The period immediately after an umbral calamity, when everyone is struggling to survive and recover, this is the umbral era. Okay. When you go past this and everyone has started to recover and you're in that period of prosperity and peace before the next calamity, that is an astral era. Okay, gotcha. So it goes umbral bad, astral good. <laughs> All right, and then it, it sounds like it's just a matter of time until you get back into that umbral calamity. Yeah, pretty much. So after the first umbral calamity, we have the first umbral era. Mm -hmm. That leads into the first astral era, and then the second umbral calamity. This was a calamity of lightning. Ooh. This is after humanity had started to enter, like, the Stone Age. Oh, weird. Now, with these calamities, whenever humanity, or the the, the citizens of the humanity. world... <laughs> yeah, so whenever humanity is damaged from this calamity, is it the kind of event that brings them all back to the Stone Age, or do they usually have enough remnants... And enough people to re retain their culture and the way of life. You know, I feel like the early calamities would probably have been devastating. Like, they would have probably set them back really far. Mm. But later calamities, I feel like, like civilization can persist through that. Okay, like they've become a lot more resilient through the yeah, years. Yeah, there's enough people and they have different ways of like maintaining that information. Okay, gotcha. They can keep moving forward. All right, so this first one was, or the first one was wind, and then the second, second one, one was lightning. Lightning, all right. So what it says is that mankind entered the Stone Age, which eventually grew into these massive kingdoms, and they all went to war. And it says, to forge tools and weapons, mountains were gutted and skies blackened. Nature being despoiled for countless years, volcanoes spewing black smoke that covers the skies and plunging the realm into eternal darkness. Ooh. So I think, you know, you've got that kind of lightning that happens after a volcano erupts. Right, right. So it could very well be that humanity's rampant mining weakened the elements of Earth. Oh, gotcha. So lightning would have become stronger so how would you say the Asians influenced that to happen they're sneaky they could have been the entire reason that humanity entered into the stone age to begin with oh they could have been subtly pushing them towards expansionism and creating these kingdoms there's one Asian in particular, we mentioned him earlier, uh, Emmett Selk. Right. He's a skilled leader, and creating civilizations is kind of his jam. Hmm. So... So, he very well could have been behind it. Yeah, it sounds like it's a very... Uh, something that's very much in their wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Third Calamity. This is Fire. After the second calamity, humanity sort of turned to prayer 
for the gods, right? They were just like, please, you know, deliver us from this hell. And that religious fervor led to the discovery of magic. Oh, so you didn't have the Lala Fell, you didn't have the hero running around casting spells before this point, really. Right. And this led to a sort of Dark Ages. You've got witch hunts. You've got crusades. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> right. And theologians say that the gods grew weary of mankind's hubris and humbled them. <laughs> <laughs> of course. The sun grew large, and an intense heat parched the land. Wildfires spread, reducing fields and forests to wastelands. Wow. Okay, so we don't really know that much about what could have stirred this whole elemental thing. Oh, although if you had a whole bunch of people with the ability to cast magic, all of a sudden, I could see that getting out of hand very quickly. Maybe they just burned a bunch of witches at the same time. <laughs> it could have been taking two birds out with one stone. Yeah. I'm going to wager the sun growing large is probably the actual act of Heidelin absorbing a shard aspected with fire. Ooh, yeah. That definitely sounds like that's what that could look like. But, you know, humanity survives. This is likely what led to the birth of all these deserts around Thanalan. Mm. It's probably a holdover from that. Right, right, right. The fourth calamity. We've talked about this one. Uh, this was the calamity of Earth. Mm. Yeah, with the earthquakes and... Hang on. With the dragons. Mm -hmm. and, uh, not not Amaroth. That's the place that we just talked about. <laughs> it does start with an A can't remember you tried buddy uh alag alag so we talked a little bit about late alag mm -hmm. but early alag was kind of just as crazy really <laughs> so it was founded by a guy named emperor zandi i say zandi it could be zand i think zandi sounds better to me i don't know oh, that's good with me and he was actually influenced to create this empire by Emmett Selk. <laughs> okay, so we start to see Emmett's influence really shine here. Yeah. So he teaches them how to bind primals. That's where they got the ability to fight against the people of Maricidia. The Asians taught them to do that. Oh. Yeah. Now... Okay, so with the different shards that you have, at this point I have to imagine that they're still fairly similar to each other, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it would make sense that they could still you know, pretty much be doing the same work on the other side of the shard and it basically be you know, the, the same level of detail that they have to do to get that effect. Yeah, I mean, the shards are definitely going to branch, but they, they shouldn't be that different. Th there's an empire on the first that's very similar to Alag. It's known as Ronka. It, they very well could just be a, a branching of that same history. So mm. it wouldn't surprise me if every shard had some ancient empire. 
Though at the same time, it seems like it's a tall enough task to try and be familiar with the lore of FF14's Heidelin and not and not 13 additional histories outside of that we know very little about every other shard the only ones we really know about are the first and the 13th mm. but anyways we'll, we'll talk about them in a moment okay okay <laughs> back to alag so zandi leads them to this prosperity right they're creating what they call etherochemistry which allows them to to do bioengineering and and create biological weapons like they love to make new races and species and create chimeras and all kinds of crazy shit they started early on the crazy train didn't they they did one thing they did i don't know if the makota existed prior to them or if they wound up creating them but they Ooh. banished the Makota to live in Ilzabard, the the northern region where Garlemald is located today. So you're telling me there's a chance that they scientifically engineered cat girls? Cat girls, yes. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but despite all of his science, Zandi was not immortal, and eventually he died. Mm. And due to this lack of leadership, Alex started to sort of stagnate. So rather than trying to create some political change or something, a magician named Amon said, Got it. I'm going to revive Zandi. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so he created a clone of Zandi. Wait, he, he didn't even do what he said he was going to do. Yeah. So Zandi's back. And uh, he, he says, you know, with you, Alag will rule forever. I take it this Zandi was not quite the same as the original. I think he was every bit the same. Because he came up and he said, you know what I never did before I died? Conquer the universe. <laughs> There wasn't some additional sinister undertone <laughs> this time No, around. he just said that pesky death got in the way of me finishing my life's work. <laughs> I I wish that I could say that I, I would see humans behave differently. You know, some human dictator that, oh, when they face death, they reach some sort of humility. Seeing, <laughs> oh, looking back, maybe I shouldn't have been... You know, it's so crazy. No, no, that's totally how people would react. Just, all right, now there's nothing to stop me. (laughs) I've conquered death. I can do anything. He's very uh, (laughs) M. Bison. He's very bison there. I'm not as familiar with uh, Street Fighter. Uh, Just go watch the old movie where Raul Julia plays bison. That's all you need. Just just look up the, for me, it was Tuesday, and you'll get all you need. (laughs) Okay, I'll do that. So he had this plan to contact a god. So he used the crystal tower, a a structure they built, to rip open a portal to the realm of darkness. Whoa. And he starts talking to the cloud of darkness, is what she's called. That's right. That's right. So this is from the void. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's, he's talking to her, but the crystal tower isn't strong enough 
to open the portal fully. So this is what they use Bahamut for. They're using Dalamud to channel more energy into the crystal tower. And they're slowly working on opening this portal. But all was not good in Alag. Mm. People were dissatisfied with the conquest and the spread of their empire. So, you know, it's like Rome. When you get too big, there are rebellions happening in places you can't even see. Right. It's just too sprawling and too massive to take care of everything the way it is. Right. So there's a whole bunch of uprisings happening. Alag is starting to have this inner turmoil. And Zandi says, I'm done with this. Open the portal. Oh, no. So he tries to channel the entirety of Dalamud's power into the Crystal Tower. And it was too much. And just the feedback from it, it just fed into the earth and just shattered. Mm. And it created this massive earthquake that devastates the Alagan Empire as well as triggering the fourth Umbral Calamity. Wow. Because Emmett Selk had been planning this from the start. So Emmett was planning on them just getting too big. Mm-hmm. He knew that Zandi's unchecked determination would be their downfall. So you mentioned that Zandi was looking to commune with the gods to, to in some degree, right? Mm-hmm. I'm still so interested in learning about the gods. I, I guess we're going to have to save that for another episode. It's, it's going to be too long of a tangent, won't it? Gods is kind of a... It's a it's a blanket term. Because I'm not sure that true divinity exists in Eorzea. I'm more so curious about the, um, the Twelve. Buddy, I am too. Oh, do we, do we not have a... So we, we know a lot of the, the, like, mythos behind the Twelve, but there's this really cool new storyline that's going to be coming out in Endwalker that is just called The Secrets of the Twelve. Oh. Or Secrets of the Realm, something like that. That's but it's right. an entire storyline built around the Twelve themselves. Oh, man, so this is the expansion. <clears throat> we just get a whole bunch of answers. We're going to be getting some fresh lore. Oh. It's going to take a while, though. Oh yeah, I guess they're gonna time gate the stuff. Yeah, it'll 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 take a couple years to get the full story, but we Golly, can talk about really? interesting stuff as it happens. Okay, okay. So Alag, you know, they're gone. They blew up. Rip. This leads to the fifth Umbral calamity. This is a calamity of ice, and we don't know what caused it. But we know that it led to an Ice Age. Hmm, what's an Ice Age like in Eorzea? <sighs> Wild, apparently. Uh, it, it was known as the Age of Endless Frost. And it froze a ton of the oceans, stuff like that. Oh, it was freezing the oceans? It was. Oh, so this wasn't just a normal, <laughs> normal Ice Age. No. And... A plucky little group of cat people decided to take advantage of this frozen ocean and walk from Ilzabard to Eorzea. 
Ah. They previously couldn't reach it because there were the mountains of Girabanya were in the way. And because cats don't like water. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so that was how the Makota came to Eorzea in the first place. Huh. That's so During cool. an ice age. Yep. Uh, they had been exiled to Ilzabard for a long time. I don't even know if they even remembered who Alag was at this point. Right, probably just something that they, they have one really loose legend or tale about. Mm-hmm, exactly. I took a brief look at the histories when I was looking for you know, just the names when I was working on the description of a previous episode. And, man, there's a lot of time in this history. Oh, it yeah. It really is millennia that you go through. Yeah, the Makota were exiled to Ilzabard like two millennia before they came to Eorzea. It, it seems like in the later half of these <clears throat> calamities, it's significantly less time. But mm-hmm. would you say it, it was does, probably, it probably just roughly 2,000 years, 1,000 years between the earlier ones? Yeah, so starting with the sixth calamity, we start to actually get dates. Mm. And that's when, you know, things start to pick up time-wise. Whether this is just because the Asians are getting better. I don't know. Right, right. Uh, (laughs) they've been at it for a while they're finally picking up speed (laughs) so the sixth umbral calamity is something that you've probably gonna you've been a little more interested in this is the calamity of water this is the war of the magi oh yes 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 right so the war of the magi is rad there's a lot of cool stuff that happens here uh, and you're not going to tell me all of it right now. I am going to talk about it. Let's go. <laughs> so we've got three major players in the War of the Magi. You've got the Black Mage Nation of Mok. You've got the White Mage Nation of Amdapur. And then you have a Scholar Nation of Nim. Wait, so what's the difference... Be- oh, Nim. What's the difference between the Scholars... The, the white and black mages i can get that but what's the difference with the scholars yeah so the thing is scholar magic is unaspected so it it pulls from sort of all elements equally mm, just more so raw ether that happens to be available mm-hmm. okay they also get pretty much immediately knocked out Nim is barely a player in the war. Yeah, they're they're the ones that ended up as the Tonberries, right? Right. So the Black Mages, they are all about, you know, rampant destruction and the summoning of Void Scent. Ooh, dirty. Yeah. They have demon armies. Um, <laughs> That's pretty rad, actually. Whether they're using them directly by just being like, hey... You want some tasty, tasty ether? Join me and we'll go get some. Mm-hmm. Or they're trapping them and using them as batteries. Ooh. The black mages fight dirty. No kidding, dude. So these guys have... 
they have a lot of like underhanded moments and they're the ones that sort of last the longest i think Mm. nobody wins the war of the magi but we see some really like some lasting repercussions from mock you know i i find that unsurprising (laughs) you tell me the guys that are willing to use demons as batteries somehow Mm. damage the planet for later use (laughs) (laughs) so one thing they did was they they're the ones that unleashed the tonberry curse upon nim of course they were the ones so nim turtled up their plan was survive so they they barriered the hell out of their cities Mm. and it didn't really stick around uh, they they got a shipment from some uh, boat somewhere that had a urn in it, and that urn contained a void scent, and it unleashed this plague across Nim that sort of devastated them. Oh, that's so dirty, dude. It's just the mm-hmm. demonic, what was it, the Black Plague? Essentially, It's yeah. just the Black Mage Plague. Yeah, exactly. So Nim Nim tried to flee uh, to the the high mountains in Girabanya, but it failed. When the flood happened, uh, the waters were just too high, and Nim got wiped out. How did anyone survive that if they were on top of mountains and died? Yeah, it's crazy. So Amdapur their cities were all underground. Oh. So I have no idea how they probably got wiped out immediately. I, yeah, boulders aren't going to block the water coming into the caves. <laughs> and they can control water ether. Like the, the white mages of Amdapur, they generally use wind, earth, and water. Mm. Uh, so that's possibly why the calamity happened in the first place. The white mages wielding water ether against the black mages, like just summoning mm. a bunch of it, it probably just tilted things too much. Gotcha. Especially if they started winning. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if one of the Asians somehow taught that water was the, the core that everything else was based off or some something like that yeah. that influenced the culture around could that. also been the black mages uh summoning a void scent maybe they were consuming ether from other areas and just weakening the other elements right and you know i'm sort of getting a little bit of a paranoid suspicion now of, okay was this the Asians? is that the Asians? <laughs> Everything is Asians. Everything is Asians now. Everything is Asians. That's. <laughs> I really don't envy the Warrior of Light. You really do have to question everything at this point in the story now. Mm. So the, some cool things that Amdapur did before they got deleted. They created these sort of like living statues as their uh, as their soldiers. Hmm. They, they're very, like, regal and angelic, almost. Like, there's winged lions and, like, Valkyrie-looking statues. Oh, wow. And there's some interesting lore that came up in Shadowbringers. So, you know, spoilers, naturally. Mm-hmm. On the first, 
the the first shard was swept with light so there's these beings on that that are essentially void sent but light aspected light aspected void sent exactly so they're sort of angels demons i don't know how to put it what but i'm really confused by that though because the void sent their whole thing was chaos yeah, the Void Scent are hungry. The light ones, they're, they're known as Sin Eaters. What? Uh, and what they want is stasis. Oh. They want order. It's order versus chaos. Okay, got you. So they come from the same plane of existence as the more demonic Void Scent. Not exactly. We'll get into how that works in a moment. Never mind, then. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell... Before this episode's over, I'm going to tell you the nature of the void. Oh, dude. Never have never have I discovered so greatly that I need something this much <laughs> and not known it. <laughs> so they, they were doing that. They lost to Mock because Mock... Mock... <laughs> Mock is scary. <laughs> so one thing that Mock created was a a weapon of war known as Ozma. Ozma is basically just this giant floating ball that has a black hole inside it. Isn't wait? We mentioned it? him when we talked about Eureka. Yeah, with Proto Ozma. That's right. Yeah. So Ozma is is a a actual weapon of mass destruction, and he looks like a marble. Let me see if I can find you a picture of him. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. This this is Ozma. It's it's just a it's like a big old marble. Oh wow. Yep. Very colorful though. Yeah, and it it can shape shift. It sort of changes into different geometric shapes. Is there and... any significant? Is significance with it having white on the upper half and dark on the under half? I don't know. It's very possible. Oh, but almost... inside Ozma. Whoa. Yeah. It's sort of a little pocket dimension. Yeah, galaxies and space. But you can see in that screenshot, this is where the players fight Ozma in the Weeping City of Mach raid. So, it's a weapon... But you're also just fighting the weapon. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a weapon without a user. Right. Huh. Yep. You can see inside that little thing, there's architecture there that's very reminiscent of, of like, Amtapur and Nim. So it could very well be that the platform you're fighting on is just a chunk of Earth that was ripped up thousands of years ago. Whoa. And just consumed by Ozma. And then he just spits it out when you're fighting him? That is actually inside. You get consumed by Ozma as well. Oh. During the fight. Okay, I understand now. <laughs> yeah, that is you fighting your way out. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mach doesn't mess around, do they? <laughs> no. So one other thing that Mach did, in order to escape the flood, unlike, you know, Nim went to the skies... Amdapur drowned. <laughs> Mach 
Mox said we're gonna fly. Let's make a spaceship. <laughs> so they created this giant ship known as the Void Ark. Whoa, that thing's awesome! <laughs> it, it is fantastic. This is glorious, dude. This looks like it's straight out of, what is it, Gothic Armada or whatever that 40k space game is? Yeah, yeah. Mach went full Warhammer. And they made a demon fortress. <laughs> a demon fortress? A giant, blocky, <clears throat> demonic spaceship with... Are those hooks? Yeah. Or claws? And it, it's sort of, like, it has this aesthetic of, like, coffins. Because the Void Ark is lined with containment units for void scent that are in stasis oh man this is <laughs> it's so cool but it's so grim yeah because mock was like we're not just gonna survive we're gonna win i love how edgy it is with the claws too <laughs> yeah so so yeah it, it's insane <laughs> um and that that part on the front of it with the red things, yeah, that can open up and shoot a laser. Well, of course, it's a giant <laughs> fantasy spaceship. Why doesn't it have a laser? <laughs> it actually wound up being a bit of their downfall. Um, mm. Eventually, the the locks inside the void arc started to weaken, and when a bunch of hungry void creatures come out. You know, there's a bunch of tasty mages just right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, the, and the black mages are really on the chaotic side, aren't they? Mm-hmm. So they get kind of annihilated <laughs> by this pair of void scent known as Diabolos and Scathic. Wow, just two of them? There's more. It's just those are the important ones. Scathic, oh, okay. known as the Shadow Queen, and... Diabolos is like the Lord of Nightmares. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he, he escapes. He intends to resurrect her. It's a whole other storyline. Uh, we'd be getting a little far away, but it would be neat to talk about them as well. That's Absolutely. We'll, we'll make a mark and come back to that later. Uh, but yeah, uh, Diabolos kind of ruined them. Um, but there was another group that was born out of this uh, calamity. So they were known as uh, the Charleans. Mm, that's where we get Grandpa. Right. So at, during these floods, there was a man intending to save a whole bunch of people. And he created a big old boat. Uh, his name was Nunkrepf Nunkrepfsen. I'm sorry, bud. So, <laughs> Nyunkrep, son of Nyunkrep. <laughs> so he creates this big old boat, and he intends to save everybody. So he starts putting a whole bunch of people on this boat. And he, he takes them... I don't remember where he goes, but the boat is threatened to capsize. Mm. So he just teleports the boat somewhere. Whoa! 
his intention was to teleport to the northern seas, but instead they landed in the mountains of Girabanya. <laughs> Whoops. You know, if he didn't just disintegrate everyone and everything that was on board using flow on something that size, I think that's a win still. Yeah, that's fair. So the, the people, you know, they get out of the boat, they're in Girabanya, but then everybody that's surviving in Girabanya starts to fight over resources. So he says, mm. all right, guys, let's leave. So they get in a bunch of smaller boats and they go to the northern seas and found the nation of Charleian. You showed me the the video with them. They have almost a Greek-looking society, right? It's uh-huh. very temperamental and coastal. Yeah, and much like Amorot, the Charleans view themselves as being disconnected from the troubles of the rest of the realm. Mm. They're like, we intend to be the smart ones here. And instead of just fighting amongst ourselves, we want to understand why these things keep happening so that we can stop it. Okay, gotcha. So they're a nation of scholars and intellectuals. Some of the most powerful mages. And they're the ones really investigating and getting on the case of the Asians, I bet. Right. So in order to sort of stop this flood and bring things back to normal, some surviving mages of Amdapur and Mok actually banded together. Hmm. And under a man named Count Ganelon and Elizin, they founded the art of red magic. Oh, I don't really know anything about red magic in regards to FF14. Red magic is a hybrid of white and black. They can cast both. So, <clears throat> in, in how that is with the world black magic you have chaos white magic you have uh, what was the what was the piece called or what have you referred to it as oh like stasis yeah stasis yeah Yeah. so how can you have an in-between would it not be more of one or the other so the way red magic works is that it doesn't actually use external ether red magic uses a little bit of their own ether and a little bit of external ether. Huh. And it sort of tints it. And then there is that natural discrepancy from casting both white and black. So what they do is they have a sword that serves as a focus and they will discharge that like dissonance through their blade. Oh, so if there's a little too much chaos, if there's a little too much stasis, the focus blade... Dispense it through their swordsmanship. Red mages are really interesting. That's so cool. I love this. Uh, But that's pretty much the end of the War of the Magi. You've got the birth of red magic, the birth of Charlayan, the death of Amdapur, Mok, and Nim. Wait, so how, how do the new line of red mages end up saving... The world it's from the more flood. about sort of just quelling the ethereal imbalances. They're just sort of oh, going around cool. being like, whoa, chill. So these things sort themselves out if the ether is sorted out. As long as there's not an irreparable imbalance. Hmm. As long as it doesn't go too far. 
the the elements will eventually sort of equalize. They want to be in balance. Right. That that's funky. Yeah. So there's basically there's all these types of ether, right? You know, fire, water, earth, lightning, all that. Right. But then there's aspects of ether into umbral or astral. And that's more of the chaos versus stasis? That is chaos versus stasis. So there's, I believe that it is astral ether is active ether and umbral ether is passive. So it's whether it's sort of chilling or whether it's awake and acting. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you have, you can have umbral fire or astral fire. Oh, but we generally see them in those native types. Like, generally, fire is an astral element because it burns. Fascinating. But when a fire is sort of smoldering, that's leaning more towards the umbral. So something that would be, say, more of just uh, an intense heat mm-hmm. would be more of an umbral fire, whereas something that's burning and consuming would be an, astral. an astral fire. Fascinating. We've already talked about the seventh umbral calamity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We know about Bahamut. Just a little bit. There was an attempt at an eighth umbral calamity. But it failed. Oh. Yeah. This is a fairly large part of uh, a setup to the Shadowbringer story, but it is not integral to the Shadowbringer story. Okay. Uh, But long story short, because we're uh, coming up on our hour point here. Wait, you're telling me that stopping a calamity is not an integral part of the story at some point? It it is, but it's also something that just kind of happens while you're stopping a second calamity. Oh my god. (laughs) Because, you know, it has to happen on two places at once, right? Oh, that's right. So we're stopping the one on the first, the, the first shard. But we're not stopping the one on Eorzea. But that prevents the calamity going exactly. into fruition. Okay. So, again, Shadowbringer spoilers, but the plan was for the Empire to use a gas known as Black Rose. And Black Rose stops ether. I'm sorry, who, who was using this? The Garlean Empire. Okay, gotcha. It's an... Uh, it's renders ether into stasis that's right yeah you had mentioned that so then this coupled with the the first shard being swept in a flood of light this is because the warriors of light on the first were a little too good at their jobs oh they defeated darkness so soundly that there wasn't enough of it left to keep the light in balance oh so huh. light started to flood the realm and it turned it into just this barren just it was it's known as the empty what and it's it's just this barren looks like a salt flat where all of the ether is asleep nothing is active oh everything is in stasis mhm this is where the sin eaters come from uh, much like a void scent is born from a person whose ether goes rampant, 
a, a sin eater is born from a person whose ether turns to stasis. Wow. Huh. So a little tying it back to something we talked about with Mach and uh, Amdapur, these angelic statues, it's entirely possible based on their appearance, because they're very similar to some sin eaters we've seen. It's oh. very possible that these statues were just sin eaters being summoned into a statue much like the maki can summon a void scent i don't see why the amdapori couldn't summon a light scent yeah that, that makes a lot of sense that as you have this force that works so much with light that just mm. like the guys that are working with darkness you've got your own creatures that you're that you have a familiarity with yeah so that failed um, and that failure kind of led to the downfall entirely of the Garlean Empire. And the first is seemingly okay at the moment. Oh, it came back <laughs> we, from we that? We seem to have done our job. Alright. Um, but let's talk about what happens if we didn't stop it. Yeah. Let's talk about the Void. So, the 13th Shard was being handled by an Asian named Igyorin. And she was a little overzealous when she was doing her job. And much like the Warriors of Light of the First, she defeated the Warriors of Light on the 13th way too soundly. Mm. And the shard was tipped too far to darkness. And that sort of set off this chain reaction where the entire shard fell to darkness. It was completely consumed. So the void is a shard. The void is the 13th shard. Oh. And the void scent are the former denizens of the 13th shard that have oh. been warped by this ether. Oh my god. Yeah, so all those demons, they, they were people. Oh, that's so... Oh. Yeah, and that, that sort of explains why they're, you know, they're hungry for ether because their ether's all active up and they're like, I need more power. And that's also sort of why black magic and to an extent even the Dark Knight, why their powers are so addictive and self-destructive because they pull from the void. Right, it seems like it's the kind of... Or it seems almost like a boulder rolling down a hill. The more uh -huh. speed that you pick up, the more power you get, the more difficult it is to try and satiate your thirst for more. Right. So what's what I'm curious about is the void is a fail state. It, it is not what they want the rejoining to, to be like, right? Right. If it's completely fall into darkness and they can't use it for a rejoining now because it's too far gone oh like tainted ether or something doesn't that mean they failed like how do you bring it back to continue oh. doing your your goal that's an excellent question uh -huh. so just like you can use the gas that makes ether into stasis is it possible to undo that but limit it 
Well, we've seen on the first that it's possible to wake elements up and turn back stasis. So I suppose the Asians are fully capable, with enough time, to bring the 13th back from what it was. Oh, you know what I bet we're going to see? Hmm? Is a white knight. <laughs> Someone that uses their white magic, but in a more, I guess, aggressive combat-focused sense hmm. to quell the chaos and the rage of the darkness i mean i we're kind of digging into paladin territory oh we're going on a crusade into the 13th realm i'm calling it dude <laughs> i don't know i don't think the black mages will let that happen that's kind of the source of their power <laughs> uh, huh maybe just a little void just, a little bit. <laughs> just put a little baby gate up for the void. Just, just, just the tip. <laughs> wow, I wasn't expecting that for the void. Nobody was. <laughs> when we learned the nature of the void, it was like a, huh, okay. And then at the same time, that could happen to another shard. It could technically happen to anyone if they're shard fell completely to one element i suppose yeah and so maybe we even see that happen a second time but this just it makes me question more and more what was that sound i am so curious about that i i going <laughs> into this whole series of episodes that we've done i wasn't anticipating to have a question that would nag at me under my skin as much as this as what is the sound? Because I, I have nothing. I have no idea of where to start thinking of what that could be. <laughs> Me either. Is it just the Asians? <laughs> it's just a very loud, angry baby. <laughs> uh, like a WoW-style Titan or something? Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a WoW Titan, and it's very <laughs> mad, and it's screaming. <laughs> that's, what it is. that's it that's it we're calling it place your bets now folks <laughs> <laughs> so, um so we're all caught up with the calamities pretty much yeah the the eighth umbral calamity is the most freak or the most recent and it failed so given the state of the uh Asians themselves and Shadowbringers, don't think we have to worry about calamities anymore well mm -hmm. I mean, I guess Endwalker's kind of a calamity. Okay, but it, it would... So the next calamity that would come to fruition, that would be considered the eighth one, because the eighth one didn't succeed, didn't right? Didn't happen. Yeah, I guess... Yeah, exactly. Right, I guess... We're still in the seventh astral era right now. Ah, so. okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. All right, sweet. Well, you, you want to call it here? Uh, I mean, it seems like a good a start as any. I suppose so, well... Thank you, everyone, for joining us. This was a very fascinating episode, uh, giving me more questions than answers again. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have any questions that you would like to have an answer to, or something that we could maybe look into in an, a further episode, reach out to us. Uh, again, you can find me at MageManDan on Twitter. You can find the podcast at Moogles and Mages on Twitter. And we'd love to hear from you. But for now, thank you for tuning in. We will see you next week on episode 11.